Hi everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. My name is Anurag Rana and I'm a technology analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. Uh, we're delighted to have Orden Spate as our guest today, who is a managing partner at the private equity firm Tama Bravo. You know, we're looking forward to chatting with Holden about the software space and the recent valuations. So perhaps to start off with Holden, can you please uh, tell us a bit about yourself, your initial years as Tama Bravo and your current role? Thank you very much for having me. And I'm excited to discuss the industry and a little bit of my background with you today. So just quickly on myself, I grew up in Louisiana. I was educated at Dartmouth undergrad and went to Harvard Business School. Most of my career has been in private equity. I've been with Toma Bravo now for going on 18 years. So I have been here for quite a bit of time, focused on enterprise software. And just quickly on the firm's you know, evolution, when I started, we were investing roughly a half a billion dollar fund and only about 40% of what we were doing was in technology and enterprise software. But Orlando Bravo had really come out here in San Francisco and championed that as a really good place to apply on the buy and build strategy. And so we were really just getting started in the early part of the 2000s when when I joined Orlando and Scott Crable was here as well. So today, obviously, we've gone from investing half a billion dollar fund to today we have over, I think, $130 billion of assets under management just focused on uh, enterprise software. So it's been it's been quite a journey. But anyway, that's a little bit on, on my background and the firm's background. Perhaps you bring up a very good point about how that fund has evolved over time. How has the um, the tech space involved in your framework during that time when you first started, then maybe in the middle and, and where we are today? Well, the industry, I would say, when we started doing the deals, we started in doing vertical market ERP sort of consolidations. And those businesses that we were buying then, of course, were much smaller because we didn't have the same capital base. The industry was much smaller. And most of the companies had a business model that was a perpetual license, maintenance, professional services business model. And so really in the middle, maybe in the 07, 08, you know, you started to hear more of software as a service, more of a rental model in the industry. And once that happened and started to get adopted and cloud computing became the new thing, our industry just exploded, even at scale. It almost defies the logic of just big numbers. It's big number, the larger the numbers get, the more the growth is supposed to decelerate. Almost the opposite happened in our industry. And so we had to kind of adapt our business model. And we have over the last decade to where we have a lot more recurring revenue. It's more software as a service orientated. Uh, it's more growth focused and our operating models had to change a bit. But the industry really as a result of the budgets going more from finance and IT into all the operating businesses and all these different workflows, that's been probably the number one huge change in the industry since, since I've started here. From my experience, one of the things I have realized is just looking at IT budgets in the CIO's office is not the right way to look at it just because of what you mentioned. And when I first started looking at this, I think software was no more than $100, $200 billion market. Now it's you know, north of $600, $700 billion. We have calls with investors all the time, and I just try to explain to somebody and say, look what happened with Southwest. Look at the airline systems at this point. We have a long runway ahead of us from a you know, technology investing point of view. What is your viewpoint into just the broader investing in technology market, not getting into any subsector, but... Do you think we are maturing or we, there is a long runway ahead? Yeah, I mean, you make some really good points in that. I think that's exactly how we view it is we've had this explosion and growth, as you said. And by the way, I think most definitions of 
the market are understated because they they really exclude internal IT, right? All these companies, as you said, are trying to become software companies. They, they're spending a lot of money on engineers. And I spend a lot of my time in the application software space. That's really the big market. We divide our world internally into infrastructure, security, and applications. And so a lot of the large application software deals that we've done over time, I've led. So I look at a lot of the vertical markets like education, schools, or financial services, banks, or insurance companies. All of those traditional companies are trying to transform their business models through technology and software. And none of that internal spend is really captured in any of these definitions, but everybody's trying to get to know their customers better, understand them better. They're coming in from all these different channels now, mobile. And so there's a ton of internal spend that's not picked up. But we think that's kind of the next decade is really this digital enterprise. It's the transformation of businesses, traditional businesses to technology businesses. And you read about it all the time, but it's happening. And it, it's a CEO level attention in all these companies. And even if I just look at it a little bit more micro level and think of the SaaS industry, which is growing like 20% a year, and we see it in all of our companies, we think of that's like you'd, you'd expect based on all our portfolio and all things that it would be like 70, 80% of the overall revenue in the industry. Instead, I think it's like 30 to 40. So there's still a massive runway in this space for many years. A very fair point, and I'm glad that my viewpoints are somewhat aligned with yours. In this case now, you know, our podcast is all about disruptors. And it's a very interesting thing you said that when you first started, you were looking at companies with perpetual licenses and a different business model. And now it's a very different ballgame. So when you are sitting here, because you are investing for the next, you know, five, seven, 10 years or so, how do you make a judgment as to what's going to do well in that time frame? Because Software evolves so fast that it is very difficult to project out even two years out, let alone five to seven. So what are some of the characteristics you pick before you start investing in these firms? It does. Uh, and the great thing that we've been able to do over time, especially as we've scaled our funds and, you know, we just raised, you know, 32 billion that we closed on across our buyout products a few weeks ago that we announced. And what that's allowed us to do, and also having the pattern recognition of having done this, been in this one industry for 20 years, as you said, it does evolve quickly, but we've been able to see a lot of things. And the the great news is we're able to buy the market leading companies at scale now. And a lot, of, and those usually are the disruptors. And so there's a similar pattern in a lot of the deals, especially in the application side, which I'm, I'm most familiar with. But if I think of Anaplan, which we just closed, right? The enterprise planning market, connected planning, right? Financial planning, supply chain planning. That market started with SAP and a lot of the ERP type vendors, and they were selling perpetual licenses, maintenance services. That technology wasn't as current or didn't get as updated. And Anaplan started a cloud native product platform that was very easy to use, very appropriate for the large enterprise companies. They come into that market and get traction. And we think, um, and I think the data would prove this out, they've kind of been the winner in that market. There's still a lot of legacy, what we would call legacy technology in that market. Anaplans are going 25 to 30% subscription revenue. They have disrupted that market with a better product and a better matchup. And what we try to do is take that really innovative, great product. And a lot of times you can understand the financial metrics are relevant in the sense that they tell you in some sense how good the product is, right? It's like if, if the company only loses two to 3% of its customers every year, and they grow 20% a year without selling any new logos, you generally know that's probably a pretty happy customer base. It's a great product. And those are the kind of companies that we invest in. They've come into these large markets that do have incumbents, but in some ways we think that's okay because the buying centers have been established for the product. The ROI has been proven. 
There's just a better company that's there. And we think that that's Coupa and the business and management market. That's Anaplan and the planning market, you know, Instructure, which was a company that we acquired in the online learning management system market, right? Blackboard was their, or sorry, Blackboard, excuse me, was their first, but they've come in and, and those are the companies that, the companies that we back are usually the cloud disruptors and large, important markets that are growing fast. And what we try to do is take those really good products and markets and make those great companies by improving their profitability with existing management, making acquisitions and doing all those things. But what, what we don't do, and this is, I think, part of your question as well, is if the product is not winning in the market by the data that you see, we don't do those kind of deals because in a four or five year time horizon, which is a typical private equity time horizon, it's too hard to fix that. So those aren't the kind of companies we buy. No, it's an excellent answer. And in fact, I kind of know about both these companies a little bit as well. Uh, we had the CEO of Coupa on our podcast last year. And uh, Anaplan, I know kind of because I've covered Workday for a long period of time. So that my next question is actually more of a byproduct of what you just said. One of the biggest arguments in the software investing space is, do I go for a point product company or do I go for a suite? And, you know, I would love to get your thoughts around it because, you know, somebody said, okay, Anaplan or for that matter, uh, you know, another company in that space is, is good enough in, as a single product, but in the long run, you need to maybe build a front office system or a back office system or an ERP suite. What's your take on it? Are you one of those that thinks the point products will always win or a suite will win? I think a couple of things. I think having a platform, and I, I think you can define this in different ways, but having a platform is important. You don't want to just be, you know, an add-on product, but on the other hand, I think the most important thing is that you're the best at what you do. I mean, that's what we've found. I will go back to the example of, of Anaplan maybe, but if you're SAP or one of these guys and you're planning away for a discounted price because you're mainly the general ledger and the accounting system on the back end, yep, exactly. but you're not yep. the best planning system, which is super critical, mission critical function at a company, you're probably not going to win. And that's what we've seen time and time again. You have to be the best at what you do. I mean, bundling is a great sort of defensive strategy that a lot of companies employ. But to me, that usually is a bit of a red flag. Like, okay, if you're throwing a bunch of things in for free, you're not delivering value to the customer. And we found over time that we can take these, I would say, more niche markets or niche products, or maybe they're not considered quote-unquote platforms, but they have the characteristics that I discussed earlier with really high gross retention, really high customer satisfaction, NPS, mission-critical products. And we can sometimes acquire our way into being a platform company, if that makes sense. And that's what we've yeah. done uh, time and again. And, and then, you know, that begs a very interesting question that whatever you have said is exactly what an investor should look at when you're buying a software company and looking at, you know, how much ACV is being generated by the current customer base. And if it's very high, and then like, for example, we cover service now, it has a very high ACV coming from the existing customer base and everything is running fine. But somewhere in that journey, there are some roadblocks that come in. And at that time, the valuation dips, and that's when you probably come in to buy that. So perhaps explain to us in that journey what happens at certain points when these companies have some execution problems or are they not growing properly or what happens then that gives you the opportunity to pick them up at a good price? I think we have a very entrepreneurial industry, great products, a lot of innovation. What typically happens is those companies grow for a while without much I mean, I wouldn't say without much effort, but they, they hit the, the, the market timing is great. The product is great. They grow 30, 40% a year compounded. 
don't generate a lot of cash flow, maybe don't generate any cash flow for a while, and, and that satisfies investors. Sometimes those companies go public. Then ultimately, generally, the, they hit some kind of roadblock on growth. That's typically what happens. And so maybe they go from 30% growth to 20% growth, and they still don't generate any money or profits. And that's typically, and of course, the market has spoken strongly on this in the last 12 months. That's when the market says, wait a minute, I was promised some profits at some point. Um, and then activists get involved. The stock gets hammered, right? I mean, I'd say public stocks in our industry tend to be very volatile. And if I look back, even at like LMA a few years ago, the, the mortgage market hit up in the middle of 2018, interest rates spiked, the refinancing market slowed down. The stock got cut in half because it went from a 20% grower to a low double digit grower. The business fundamentals were exactly the same. It was a 98% gross retention business, great customers, great product. That's perfect time for us. And we're lucky that this movie tends to repeat itself a lot in the public markets. That was a case of Instructure. That was a little bit of, you know, Anaplan. And truthfully, the companies at some point, you know, the same processes, the same people that maybe bring you from 100 million to 200 million or 200 million to, let's say, half a billion, which is kind of our entry point. A lot of recent deals by half a billion dollars of revenue. There do need to be some changes made to take half a billion to a billion. And so having a partner like us who can come and help professionalize the business, help management figure out how to increase their profits to make important strategic acquisitions and to scale their business and to professionalize their business, that's really our skill set. So we benefited from this trend of basically public market investors, you know, changing their preferences. Since November 2021, you probably have the best deals out there just because the valuation has been cut down. 60, 70, 80% in a lot of these new IPOs. So I, I completely understand that. But would love to learn a little bit more about what you just said in the areas where you help a lot of these companies. So are there any buckets where they fall into? And in that case, what do you actually help them with? Because I'm assuming these are, as you said, founder-led companies and the product is probably very, you know, you're not helping with product development at that point. But would love to understand where do you help them so that that growth rate that, let's say, has gone down from 20% to 12 to 13, you know, you help them take that up again? It's a great question. And truthfully, despite the fact that we've done, I think, over 400 acquisitions, 75 billion or 175 billion of enterprise value in the 20 years we've been doing this, something like that, there's a lot of pattern recognition, but no two situations are exactly the same. But I will give you some themes, maybe, which is, for one thing, the SaaS industry, right? Great industry, just like you and I have talked about, a lot of recurring revenue, but you sign up, a sometimes you sign up a customer and their price is fixed for five years. And then you renew that customer for another maybe three years or I don't know. But one thing that happens a lot of times or that we've seen a lot is that companies will, and, and especially as companies are growing really fast, they just, they keep signing up customers and more and more customers. The list price of the software changes over time and may go up, but that doesn't affect all the people that already have the software. So exactly. in other words, you may, you may have somebody who pays $100. The list price of the software is now $200. They're still paying $100 because they bought it sooner, but they're getting, they're using the exact same product. They're pushing out updates. They have the same modern interface. So that's just one example. Of like you, and it takes a lot of data analysis to go back and look at all your customers and say, okay, let's compare all these customers to what the list price of the software is today. If you sold that customer today, and why are they getting a why are they pay, why they have a seventy five percent discount to the customer? So, just one example that we've we've helped companies with pricing and packaging has been a big thing. Organizational structure has been a big theme for us. We help companies, a lot of times they're unsure of how to offshore, and we have a lot of relationships and offshoring on, on development. 
We have a lot of expertise in, in product management, a lot of expertise in professional services. We just, we kind of every functional area, we're helping now companies a lot with their cloud operations. And we even have helping all these companies. We have a big portfolio now, so we spend a lot of money uh, across our portfolio on Amazon. Also, we help negotiate, you know, kind of contracts for our companies with those cloud providers. We have some operating partners whom we leverage as well. So usually we're able to go in after really just a two or three hour meeting and, and kind of say, okay, we try to focus on the three or four big themes that are going to make the difference over our investment horizon. And we can usually identify those pretty quickly, but then it's about execution. As you said, are the right people, processes. We try to establish a relationship between our senior operating partners and the CEO because we, we support management ultimately. It's, it's their call. They know the company's better than we do, but we have a lot of pattern recognition. We have a lot of ideas. We can say, hey, we can help you with this. And then we also help a lot with the growth. We help a lot on the M&A. And we have, a, we have a team here internally that focuses a lot of time on these markets. So we buy Anaplan. We've already got our own list of 30 or 40 companies we'd like to see Anaplan buy. And we help source those deals. We help negotiate those deals. Our internal group can serve as an outsourced business development arm for the companies to the extent they need or want that. So that that's kind of how we how we work and, and assist our management teams. Now that, that that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that uh, you know, and our research shows that uh, over the last you know twelve months, there has been other deals done by large software companies as well. But as I look at you know next uh, this year, twenty twenty three, I don't see any of the larger technology companies becoming active in this space. You know, Microsoft's busy with Activision, Adobe is busy with Figma, Oracle just bought Cerner. I mean, you look at any other large software company. And, and you know, the regular does not let uh, any of the big tech companies buy anything big. So it must be a fun time for, uh, you know, you at this time. So who do you compete with? And for, if I'm a seller, like, why do I go with you versus somebody else? Because, I mean, again, it's I think it's going to be a very strong year for all the private equity firms in 2023 because valuations are down and the strategic buyers are just sitting on the sidelines or they are forced to. You know, what happens to your competitive landscape? The secret is out about how great these businesses are to own. That is well known. And a lot of private equity firms have software practices or technology practices where they're trying to buy. So we have some really, really good competitors. They kind of come at scale in our flagship fund, which is kind of the fund that uh, I'm, I spend most of my day to day being responsible for. I'm on the investment committee of all the products, but my time is flagship funds, which are the larger companies where we just, you know, we just closed a, a $24.3 billion fund. In that market, we compete with generalist funds that are large, but they're not exclusively enterprise software focused. And we compete with one or two specialists in the space. So the way we've always thought about it is we, when it comes to find the right kind of opportunities for us, are they kind of the, well, what you and I discussed earlier, great products, great markets, but they need some degree of operating help to really reach the next level of scale and to be, to become great companies, right? Take great products, great innovators, let's make them great companies. Those types of deals we're very, very well positioned for. So while there are competitors, most of our competitors, when they look at a business like that, that maybe makes 10 or 15% cash flow margins. And we think that that company over time, as we help them and we scale and we work on all the different things you and I have discussed, we should make them 40, 45% cash flow margins. In those situations, we are very, generally very successful. So, and in, in my mind, in that, in that situation, when we're targeted on the, the right kinds of opportunities, it's no more competitive in our world than it was 20 years ago, where we competed with a lot of also Golden Gate Capital and Vector and Francisco, all the guys that in, in some we still compete with. But 
um, this whole operating improvements, and that's really what what we do very well. We are very. We, this is all we do. All we do is try to transform and grow and professionalize amazing software companies, and that's pretty appealing to a lot of people because we also do it in collaboration with management. We don't run the companies. We management runs the companies, but we have a lot of assistance versus somebody who may do this part time or may come into this deal or do one deal a year. Whereas we can come into these companies and say, gosh, we have 70 companies now in our portfolio and $24 billion of revenue. Here's what I saw last week. Is that a good idea? Can we help with this? And and so I think some people really, really appreciate that deep domain knowledge that helps them because a lot of these companies do hit a point where they need a partner to reach the next level. And uh, in those types of deals, uh, we tend to have a very good win rate. Now, that's, that's absolutely a very good answer. You know, another thing I think about a lot is, you know, when I look at somebody like a Salesforce who's, you know, has been buying companies for a long period of time. And recently we saw the senior management of uh, Slack uh, leave or Tableau left a while ago. And I mean, that's that is really critical for the success of the business at that point. How do you ensure that the portfolio companies that you have bought, you know, you still have people who came up with the product or were running there would still be around for your investment time horizon? We do our best to do a lot of that work before you, there are no guarantees, obviously. So we have to really like the business because you don't know that the whole team is going to stick around. But we, we, um, we spend a lot of time on that before we sign a deal. We want to get very comfortable with management. We want to be very transparent about what our objectives are, the areas that we see for improvement. Are we on the same page as management? Ultimately, money and incentives is important, and we do that. We align incentives. We have an incentive pool every time. We generally are paying out unvested, restricted stock from the prior regime, and we're adding our own incentive plan. But money is just a, you know, money is just a part of the equation. If people aren't excited and happy, a lot of people in these big deals, a lot of management teams are making pretty good money when we buy them. And so, how do we? We have to. We have to be good partners to them. You know, we have to. That's to be something new for them. You know, we've had knock on wood. I'll use a recent example, but and we haven't closed the deal. But I'm, we're we're hopeful that you know we think Rob is a great guy. He's been around Coupa forever. He knows that market so well. And you know, we spend a lot of time with him and his team. You know, and I think we've excited him about, and hopefully we do excite teams about what we view as we've transformed so many of these companies. You know, we've we've made a lot of acquisitions. The companies are generally much, much larger and much more dynamic when we're done with them in four or five years than when they were before. And that journey, I think, is for good operators is super exciting and impressive. And we're a great supporter in that journey. So that's how we try to uh, work with management. Now, this is a logical way of thinking. Another thing that I've always struggled with is how to think about these massive install bases that have been in existence for a very long period of time. So you know, we, again, you know, whether you are looking at SAP or Oracle's database or anything else that has been around for you know, 20, 30 years, even if they are not growing at the same pace as some of the companies that you're buying, you know, they still uh, control a large portion of an install base in a space. How do you grapple with that? Because taking that market share is not easy because they have a high retention rate. Those businesses are also growing. How do you think the world is going to coexist going forward with them trying to protect their market share versus some of your companies trying to take share away from them? Fundamentally, I think we for one, just like you said, it's there's a ton of inertia in our industry. It's hard to kill these things. <laughs> and so you can just kill them a little bit at a time, right? Because that's one thing we love about software. I think 95, 96, the applications are 90s gross retention, right? People don't exactly. want to leave if they don't have exactly. to. Yeah, yeah. Well, a big part of our strategy is to go into these companies and say, hey, you're spending a lot of, and this is another big area of, of 
opportunity for us usually is most companies get distracted easily. They're doing a lot of development on new products at markets where there's already existing incumbents that have very high gross retention rates. And you're saying, why are you spending all this money? What's the ROI on all this spend uh, when there's this installed base out there that's only attriting 2 to 3% a year? Why are we developing that product? Why don't we focus on what you do really well and we'll take that extra cash flow and margin by refocusing on the core business and we'll use that to go acquire a company in that space already or acquire a maintenance space. That was a big driver of our M&A strategy from the beginning. And I'd say the the markets like the ones you and I've discussed where they're tangential as, a, as an example to, to ERP, where you might have a little bit of an incumbency advantage just because you're around it and you're telling the customers, oh, well, we have a product for that. Oh, we can do that. We've always found that best of breed wins. And so if you have a product that's 20 or 30% better, you're going to be saying you're going to keep chipping away at those guys. But we, there has been a big refocusing exercise for the reasons you mentioned. Well, another thing that you know always pops to me is you know international. You know, different countries have different rules when it comes to ERP payroll and other things. So you know you can develop a product that is um, in that language with that rules, but that then ties into the core ERP system. Is that an area where you focus on, or is that too niche for you? We have been very acquisitive internationally. Some of our companies, like Adenza, we have some that were sort of started in Europe, and as you said, it's a different. Even geo by geo within Europe oh, yeah. is, yeah, is yeah. super different, right? And so we've used a lot of channel partners over there. But for our businesses that are North America-centric and headquartered here, there's usually enough market to be very successful here. And if you want to go seeding an overseas effort, a lot of times is, is a, long, a long journey. Now, we have a lot of business, I think, in our infrastructure and security portfolio, a large part of the revenue, probably close to half, comes outside of North America. So we're very familiar with operations over there, but I would say are probably on the application side where some of the businesses are more North America centric. International is typically a big growth lever, but we try to get there in as capital efficient a way as we can, if that makes sense, which a lot of times is more acquisitions than, hey, let's go put 30 people on the ground in Germany and start a, and, and re, you know, write all the product configurations and the language. If it's not ready for that, it's not ready for that. So we have to do acquisitions. You know, the acquisition aspect is a very interesting one. And again, different companies have different philosophies about it. You know, you have SAP that has done numerous acquisitions over time. Uh, and then you have somebody like a Workday for a very long period of time or AWS that say, you know what, we build a platform, we want single code, we want everything on that code, and we're going to develop these products over time. So when you are looking at your portfolio companies, how do you decide what's better for the final customer experience? Because obviously you can buy something, but it may not speak the same language. The UI might not be the same. It's not the best experience for the customer because you have to go from one product to the other. How do you balance those two things together? Yeah. What you said is really important because we don't do acquisitions. It's not good to do acquisitions just for acquisitions sake. As you said, you can go buy customers, in which case that, that has been a good thing for us generally. Well, we have the best product in the market and we're really just buying a customer base and we can offer that customer base something better than what they have. That was how we really started in vertical market software, really a customer type acquisitions. And over time, we've gotten more sophisticated around it. We'll go geographies. A lot of times we'll go technology as well. And 
when we do the technology acquisitions, just like you said, it's almost the same criteria we use for the platform acquisition, which is, is the product. If we're going to go buy in a new market, we want to buy the best. We want to buy something that where the, the code, there's not a code issue or technical debt or, right, it, or, or if it's a new geography, we can buy a new geography. So we're very sensitive to the, exactly what you said, the customer experience. Can we bring more value to these customers through this acquisition? Does the product make sense? Can our salespeople sell it? Can our customer success team support the customers? Can our call center handle the effort? All those things that we've actually had incredible success. We love M&A through the portfolio, but we have a pretty strict lens. So I think we can go through case study by case study. But one of the other strategies in a way, as you said, has been like, I think of iPipeline, which was in the insurance and insurance software company. And they had a very, very good electronic application sort of point product. And what the customers really want is an end-to-end suite that can help them sell life insurance, but also underwrite it and also put it in a policy administration system on the back end, an end-to-end system. And that didn't really exist in that industry. And so we started with what I would say is a great product and very important and could survive on its own, but the customers wanted a suite in that space. And so we kind of acquired the best products around our original product. And it is a bit of a journey to, to get that fully integrated, but it wasn't going to happen on its own anyway. So anyway, th- those are just some some different ways that we that we think about it. No, it's fair point. And again, you know, this is always usually a very complicated area because of technology issues. From a technology point, that another thing that comes to my mind, and again, you know, love to hear your thoughts around it is, you know, if you go and look at most of the software companies that have evolved from on-premise to cloud, or even those that are cloud native, a number of them are public cloud platforms. They are, you know, they use AWS or, or GCP or Azure if they need to. But I would say a large portion of the software industry still hosts its own software into their own data centers and they expand their own data centers. I feel eventually down the road, they, they should need to do that. They, the cost of computing and storage is so low for other area, other providers. Well, you know, why bother uh, go through that own? Is that you think something that's going to happen down the road or is that you push them through it or is it a competitive risk? You know, how, how do you think about that? I think you're exactly right. This will be a short answer because I think you're right. And I think we see that, as if, like you said, people can do it in a better, more efficient way. So there may not be a huge customer need for it, but think of a time like right now where the market's upside down, people are getting laid off, everybody's looking at their real estate footprint, everybody's concerned about liquidity and interest rates, inflation. I think it's a, a natural place People first look at headcount, and then they're looking at their data center spend, right? And you're seeing that literally play out right now. So I completely, uh, I completely agree with you. Yeah, and I'm also surprised that with energy rise, cost rising so much in Europe and yeah. other areas, how do you afford to run your own data center when Microsoft and uh, and Amazon can do it at such a much cheaper price than anybody else? You know, when valuations are very high, which they were in the 2020 and 21 timeframe. Are you always as active as that? Or you just say, you know what? Are you like Buffett and says, you know what? I'm not going to sign a deal for three years. I'm going to just sit down and play golf. I'd love to do that. That sounds like a really good uh, thing. I'd love to go just go play golf. Our point of view has always been, it's very difficult to be a market timer. It's hard to time the market. Even right now, I mean, t- with terrible economic news, the market rallies, right? Because people say, oh, the Fed's going <laughs> to, you know, so I, I, that's why I'm not in the hedge fund business. I'm in private equity business. And our point of view has always been since the beginning, if we can buy great software companies on a pro forma basis at a significant discount to where the market trades those companies, 
we should be doing those deals almost regardless of the market environment because we can't predict the market. And if it turns out that the market goes down after we buy the companies, that's a great time for us to make acquisitions through our portfolio companies. And it's a great time to really focus on the operations and the costs. And it's also a great time to buy new platform companies. And as long as we still have capital, we feel like our LPs pay us to do the best deals we can and not be quote unquote market timers. We could go back in time and look at different times we did that where people said, oh, the market's too high. And generally it's it's work. Now we do have a lot of work to do, obviously, with the companies we bought in that time frame because vintage year does matter. But I would also say for the kind of companies that we're buying, we're turning in many cases revenue multiples into cash flow multiples and cash flow margins. And the businesses that have real cash flow and real growth and are well-managed and well-run, their valuations, and there aren't that many of them, by the way, which is kind of amazing in our industry, but their valuations have been far less impacted than the companies that just had a lot of revenue growth, but no profits and no cash flow. And so we think our portfolio is going to hold up really well, but we're working really hard on it and in, in those, given the valuation environment right now. No, fair point. And, you know, when we first started, you did mention ERP as an area of specialization for you in application software. If you look ahead, aren't there any particular subsectors within that and the application software that you are more enthusiastic yeah. about than the others? And we'd love to know why that's the case. So I would just, just to be one quick clarification. I mean, we started our business in kind of vertical market ERP many, you know, 20 years ago. We've done a lot of application software deals. Most, very few of them have actually done kind of pure ERP type players. They've been in markets that we just, you know, planning and they've been either vertical markets or in some of these horizontal markets like procurement or spin management or planning. I would not call those ERP companies. But to answer your question, there are a couple of subsectors that we like and have liked quite a bit. My partner, Seth Boro, who's been my partner for almost 20 years here, has really led us into security software. We have a really large security software portfolio. We've been doing that for a long, long time. And that's whether it's network security or identity or email security. I mean, security has been an incredible area and it's always top of mind, even more so every day, it seems like, for CIOs and CEOs. So that's always going to be a big area for us because we have a lot of expertise in it. On the application side, I'd say one big area that we've been focused on recently, I would just call it maybe the office of the CFO. You know, the CFO is, tends to have a lot of budget and we've just seen over time and we see this in our own portfolio, the CFO has become a more and more important piece of the puzzle, so to speak, especially when it comes to an environment like this where you know, there's liquidity issues, there's FX issues. When it comes to planning, like Anaplan or Coupa, when I think of spend management and how to get a rein on spend management, when I think of bottom line technologies, which we acquired recently, which is more in the B2B payments space, getting control of your, just getting control of all your spend. And there's all these different technologies around the CFO. Um, and so we're really focused on putting together a nice portfolio because we think that a subsector has a lot of legs to it. Maybe one other one I would just mention is, you know, we're looking at, or we spend time in online, some supply chain is also supply chain and logistics. Anaplan touches that. We have a couple other companies that touch that. Um, online learning, you know, what Instructure's doing in, in higher education and K-12, because obviously COVID and the pandemic kind of taught us that people are going to work remotely. I think for a long time, people are going to learn remotely, higher education. Some of these different institutions are, their business models are sort of being challenged and how do they repackage some of that content and reach audiences maybe that, that aren't full-time students. But you have to have a really good online learning experience and platform. And we think that platform has a lot, there's a much bigger opportunity than what it's currently doing. And so anyway, those are just some, some areas of, that we really like. Well, it makes sense. 
you know, just on security software, and, and this is something that's never been clear to me, is there are just gazillion point products out there. And, uh, you know, this is, and I've been calling for a consolidation in that market for a decade now. It's just always smaller deals. I never see a big one. But if I was to envision a world that is going to be dominated in the infrastructure world by hyperscale cloud providers, will we still need a lot of these uh, products or would they be embedded in what the, the, the cloud provider is giving? That's a great question. You're right. It's like, is it one or two markets or is it 30 markets, right? Because you can just divide it and there's so many point products in that market. And I, I think it, it depends, but I think there's still going to be a lot of these, you know, kind of what I would call best of breed point products. There will be consolidation also. Cloud providers, probably a good place for them, to, frankly, to acquire into also because there is so some, you know, real software kind of special, you know, special sauce in, in, the, in those products. But I do think there will be, I mean, well, that's been a big theme for us is consolidation in and around some of those point products. So I think that's going to continue to be a trend. And then, you know, your application software, you just mentioned the office of the CFO. And, you know, when I look at the um, application software space, you have, you know, HR and uh, CRM that are, that is very high cloud penetration rate right now. I mean, perhaps north of 70% or so. But when I look at the office of the CFO, it's, you know, well below 50%. I mean, you know, some say it's only the 30, 35%. And I guess one of the reasons I've always thought is because each company is so different when it comes to running their FNA uh, function and supply chain that it is not commonly being disrupted by a single functional, uh, you know, cloud product, unlike, you know, CRM or HCM. And, uh, you know, you you have a lot of these big companies like Oracle and Workday and then SAP, for that matter, trying to push their cloud ERP products in there. You know, what's your view, given that the functional market is very different? Do you think really ERP is going to be completely uh, but have a very high percentage of cloud one day, or is it going to be very much like SAP private cloud hosted model? I think if if they do, it will be through acquisition. I mean, I think, like you said, there's some natural maybe adjacencies that are easier to attack, but I think what the current market environment and the current, and we spend a lot of time, of course, in all these different markets, and it's not easy to get in there. And like, a, you know, there, there's a lot of, I mean, like I think of Anaplan's modeling tool. That's a, or black line on the back end doing consolidation and close. I mean, those are really sticky, really good products, spending all their development on those products. So, um, and I think of, of tax or receivables automation and payables on all these little areas. There's some really established players that are cloud native that are doing extremely well, winning in those environments, taking share from ERP guys who for years just, you know, they either, well, SAP made a several acquisitions maybe in those spaces, but the best of breed guys are winning. And I think that will continue. So I don't know, think of like Workday was an incredible, incredible company. And I know that, you know, they, HR, they got into, they got into financials, but doing those things in these vertical markets, especially as businesses get more, as these kind of horizontal large markets get more verticalized, those are hard, hard things to penetrate. So they may end up with them. In fact, they should be acquiring those businesses, I think. I mean, I, I don't know why a Cooper and I'm not, I'm not now I'm marketing our companies that one of which we don't even own yet. I think if they do it, but, and maybe it's hard because those companies haven't made any money and it's a big, you know, revenue multiple and you, you know, it's not accretive and they have other things to do and they're going to continue to be very successful in what they do. But I think for 20 years, we've been on this kind of best of breed approach. Um, and we've sold a lot of companies to strategic buyers. And so I think this office of the CFO will continue to be dominated and won by the guys who are kind of winning in those markets now which are not necessarily the, the, you know, the big ERP guys. 
No, I think I, I remember one uh, one time, I think Workday CEO was discussing it in their analyst day and, and mentioned Coupa is a great company. And I think the stock went up next day. It's like, no, 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 I'm not going <laughs> to buy it. But, yeah. but you know, I, I, I remember that. So I, I completely agree with you. You know, well, uh, I think we're running out of time, but this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so for, so much for uh, coming and, and telling us about your plans. And uh, hopefully we'll get, we'll get you back uh, in a year's time and, and see where the market is. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for uh, the questions. I really enjoyed the dialogue. So really appreciate it. Great. Thank you.